This is Almost 107, a Fanshawe College Journalism student podcast. Get real. A warning before we begin. On this episode of Almost 107, we're going to be discussing topics that include rape, pedophilia, sexual assault, and murder. If these are subjects you'd like to avoid, I would suggest skipping this episode. For everyone else, we spoke with the Solo Sleuths of London. It's a Facebook group where people who have an interest in London's many cold cases join together to pool their research and speculate on what happened to all of the people whose crimes have yet to be solved. I am Bent Romnus. I am retired and I enjoy looking into cold cases as a hobby, so to speak. No expertise, just very much interested in it. And I'm Barb Dorrington, a retired social worker working mostly with children over the decades. My specialty is uh, emotional trauma with children, and so I interviewed and counseled a lot of children over the years about very serious matters. My interest in this area was as a result of being a childhood friend of Scott Leishman. I grew up in Windsor, as did he. He didn't move to London until after grade 8. And he was killed in his grade 10 year. Um, and he was my first crush. My name is Alison Cunningham. I'm, like Barb, retired. I'm a criminologist, and I've worked in a variety of different settings over the years to do with basically children and the legal system. Worked specifically with sexually abused children, and through that learned a lot about pedophilia, the techniques that men use to lure and abuse children. I've worked in youth detention and children's mental health, like Barb, uh, specialized in trauma in children and abuse and neglected children's treatment. So how did this group form? Well, Allison and I have maintained a long interest in cold cases, but we did not know each other until about a year ago. And we became members of the same bridge group of old ladies playing bridge. Oh, don't tell them I said old ladies. And Allison was a new member to the group. And when I met her in person, she told me she had a long interest in cold cases in London. And I went, wow. In talking to Allison, I found out that she knew more than I did, and that was a first. It's true. So why cold cases specifically? My mother was very interested in crime, and I sort of at some point realized that's why I got into criminology. She was very fascinated with the disappearance and murder of a little boy named Frankie Jensen. 1968, he lives in our neighborhood and was quite convinced that there was a man who worked at CPRI who had killed him, as many of the neighbors did at the time. So I just grew up as a little girl, like hearing the story every time we drove by CPRI. Uh, my mother would talk about it. And um, so when Barb had mentioned Scott Leishman, I had just, I had read Mike Garnfeld's book, like just out of curiosity years ago. So after she mentioned that, I went down in the basement and I pulled it out and there I opened it up and there was Scott Leishman's name and I hadn't really, it hadn't stuck with me but it was interesting because he was connected to Frankie and that um, the police at the time believed the same man who killed Frankie also killed Scott. So I think that's sort of what then ping-ponged us off in that direction and then we just started walking around I showed her the neighborhood and where Frankie had lived and where the man at CPRI had lived and where Jackie Dunleavy's body had been found it's all walking distance from where I live so um, and then we just sort of 
started doing some research and uh, and it grew from there but the other there. common thing was that Frankie died in February of 1968 and Scott was abducted on March break in 1968 Frankie's body was discovered uh, on Easter weekend in 1968 and Scott was still missing and then he was discovered in May and both bodies not in the same body of water but were both discovered in water and so just that kind of close connection and some information we were reading from reports at the time we went to the library we went to visit even the area where in Clinton where Stephen Truscott was accused of killing Lynn Harper to take a look at the scene there we were just trying to trace the steps of different cases we knew in order to get a better feel you mentioned you had a, uh, an interest in cold cases. What uh, what sparked that? Stephen Truscott. I got interested in that case uh, right after I came to Canada, 74, 75, something like that. And I, it just captured me. And uh, I ended up having to find out what happened. And at that time, he was considered uh, guilty. And later on, way back, uh, only back in 2007, he was exonerated on new evidence. Way before the case came back up, I had researched enough, I feel, to tell me that he was innocent. So that drove me to get interested in other cases. How do you guys go about choosing your cases? I know that some of you have some really personal connections to it. Well, that's why the hookup with Bent. He was really interested in Susan. Allison was really interested in Frank. I was really interested in Scott. And it seemed that if we put our skills together we would be able to make links, make parallel patterns emerge. And not being investigative people to begin with, it seemed that when we put our heads together, we would all notice different things, different small details. Allison, by far, is the more logical person. (laughs) I get a little more emotional and say, it's got to be this, it's got to be this. And so Allison certainly keeps me honest. Ben tonight... And Allison, we've just kind of met more recently, so we're getting to know each other's talents and skills. What about London police? Do you guys work with them? How open are they to this? What do they even think about this? They are not open to sharing information like, you know, they they can't. Finally, I was convinced of this after talking to five police officers, former or current. So I've had to retreat on that one. But no, we got to find out everything on our own. I think having fresh eyes, coming from our backgrounds, maybe we'll pull up something that will help. I guess I keep hoping that somebody who knows something will talk and provide a piece of information that could be that missing piece. But to be honest with you, a number of them are ill or dead. When sleuths were formed and we latched on to the Susan Cadu case, It's a case that really touched Londoners. And all of a sudden, people started coming out of the woodwork. And they have something to say. And look at me. I've I've been called to go and do interviews like I am today on Jackie English, which is another London story. That was a brainwave of uh, Vanessa uh, Brown, who said to us, Allison and I, You've got to get on social media. You've got to get on Facebook and make a page. And so we did. And there is, I think the the 
the one potential source of solving any of these cases is there is DNA for many of them, not the ones that Barb and I are interested in. Uh, but like in the Susan Kaju case, there is DNA. And I do, reading through the, at least the free press reports, commend the police for really doing all they could. Uh, they interviewed uh, that hundreds of men, and there were in that area uh, so many different people living. It's a, it was an area associated with a lot of transient men. There were two homeless shelters. There were many low-rent hotels, rooming houses, lots of men coming and going. So there's hundreds of suspects. But they probably didn't understand so much about the psychology of men who want to have sex with children at that time and might have missed something. The police departments at that time did not work together. So the OPP and the London police did not have information bases that they would share with each other. So if a pedophile moved around or a murderer moved around... Walk me through how you guys go about looking into these old cases. I think Barb's been amazing at uh, reaching out to people on social media. So she started posting on that and getting people. She had some mean comments come back, but it was mostly um, people that had some comments that that were previously unknown. And so that was how we found the, uh, the name of the person that um, the police at the time suspected killed Frankie Jensen, which hadn't been made public. Uh, we were able to find that because kids in the neighborhood knew who he was. And they said, yeah, he lived in that house over there. And we just started talking to neighbors. Like, Barb just goes up and talks to people. Like, she's amazing, and she calls people. So she's really unearthed a lot of stuff. What we're trying to do, we were sort of doing this little exercise about if there was there was um, sort of three different theories about who killed these two boys that we're interested in. So we're sort of going back and forth. Is it this guy? Is it that guy? And trying to, that that's sort of what our focus was, uh, was really just to look at these two. I think when you look at all of them across London, it gets overwhelming, and, and um, that's where uh, people are trying to find patterns and things like that. But I, I think it's more profitable just to do like what Bent's doing with just looking at Susan and we're doing just looking at Frankie and Scott that were at the time linked. So it's sort of, for us, it's kind of a little interesting exercise to try and, and figure that out. Did these two men, especially these was two men that were primarily accused of it and have been like publicly accused, did they actually do it? Because I don't know. And so I've worked in the court system a long time, so I know what ca- passes for evidence and what you can bring forward in a court of law and that there's lots of rumor and speculation and things like that. Um, but I'm looking for, like Barb said, I'm looking for the what's the factual piece that um, really points in this guy's direction. I think it's to our advantage not to be connected to the police or to any other agency uh, because we can bumble along and make our own mistakes and we're not going to get fired. With a lot of these cases, the suspects, I'm assuming, are either extremely old or, or deceased. What are you hoping for as an outcome, best case scenario? For me, I think it's just knowing what the truth is as much as we can know what the truth is, because it may only be theories in the end. But also, if there is something out there that we can put the community at rest, because there's still a lot of people that are still alive who were children, people are like, yeah, what happened? And and there's themes that emerge Now, if you think about the book by Cindy Lee Lukes, who was a Londoner at the time, and she has a published book out, so I'm not saying anything I shouldn't, she writes the story about how her father did a lot of these murders. And I don't think that, I think, again, she came from a very uh, disturbing background. 
with a lot of abuse, according to her reports. And again, I think when people have that kind of background, they're not necessarily taken as seriously as they might be. Uh, but her book is called Sick, and we've read it. Uh, yeah, me too. Don't know what to make of it, really, except that she's another one who's come forward to say she thinks it's her dad. You mentioned that you were in contact with like friends of some of the victims. What about family members? What do they think about your uh, endeavors to find the truth? Well, okay, so Susan's family are deceased. Okay, so uh, investigating her is a little bit easier. Uh, Scott still has siblings that are alive, and they do not want to talk to anybody, nor have they throughout this whole period of time talked to anybody. Frankie's family has talked on occasion, the siblings, but as far as I know now, they're very closed up and do not want to talk. Anne English is somebody who will talk about her sister to keep the memory alive because she wants the killer, who I think she believes is still alive, to come to justice. How long do you see yourselves continuing doing this for? I think for me it's until I burn out, which is probably a long time. (laughs) Um, But you do get burnout. I think the common theme of many people we've spoken to is that, and I think I've even heard Ben say this as well, is you get to a point where you can't just face it anymore and you've tracked things down and, and it's emotionally taken a toll on you. I think like Barb and I, we've, we've worked in a business where we've been able to manage our own self-care and, and uh, have collectively seen so many horrible stories so I think we'll have a little bit of a longer shelf life I don't know if that's fair to say but I I think so it's probably why I have three cats sitting in the house right now anybody who has three cats has got to be a little bit crazy don't they Mike oh yes yes I know that feeling yes I bet you do Uh, speaking of self-care, how do you manage self-care? Because a lot of these stories are, when you really dig into them, they're fairly disturbing. Well, my partner's name is Wolfgang, and he is receptive to hearing me when I need to talk it out. Sometimes I write it out. Uh, we uh, play a lot of backgammon. That sounds really crazy, but it's a, a game with a nice, fine finish where somebody wins. There's an ending. I like to walk. I have really good friends. I belong to a bridge group, the same one Allison belongs to. And so those things keep me alive. And I also learn to play pool. I have my grandkids and my family are very good. When I need a break from everything, I go and see them. And you do get to a point in your research that you learn to set aside the gory details and just home in on the actual details you, you just got to move on from that well for me in the in the 1990s i spent pretty much the entire decade working with child survivors of sexual abuse and i did end up digging myself into quite a hole and i i started to realize definitely had the symptoms of the vicarious trauma burnout and i did have to pull away for a while it was really it was this project called project guardian that really sunk me I think and so I had to spend a lot of time 
away from the topic, I was completely avoidant. I, so I know all the, the symptoms and everything. And I used to speak with other therapists entering the field. I guess over the years, you just develop a way of focusing on, I think for me, it was trying to find the pieces that this knowledge gives you extra knowledge about stuff that you can then go and educate other people or change the system or fight for something different. And so try and find the the good of now I I know all this horrible information. All right. Um, I think that's all the questions I have. Thank you so much. If you're interested in any of these subjects, you can find them on Facebook at Solo Sleuths of London. I'm Mike Lacasse, and this was Almost 107.